Hello, and welcome to this episode of Agape Fellowship. Here we learn God's word verse by verse. We are in Matthew 6. In the last episode, we learned how to give and pray in a manner that pleases God. Today we learn from verse 9, how Jesus himself teaches us to pray in the right manner. Verse 9, in this manner, therefore, you pray. So Jesus has now told us about prayer, and then he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first words, our Father in heaven, must have shocked every disciple that stood there. <laughs> must have... This was something so crazy. He said, what? Our Father in heaven? It must have shocked the living daylights because right up until Jesus said that, not one Jew in the last 4,000 years ever called God Father. This was the very first time. There must have... Really, they must have fallen off their chairs if they were sitting on one. How dare they call him father? <laughs> exactly. exactly. How dare you? And in fact, the Pharisees say that. Do you remember? It's, oh, your father? We know your father. And it talks about Mary's illegitimate way and all of that. Remember that in John? It goes on that. So for the first time, he's revealing. Here's the main thing. He's revealing. It's just not only a shock. First of all, it's a shock. Second thing, for the first time, he's revealing his relationship to his God. That God is Father. He's revealing the relationship between Jesus Christ. He's the Son, and God is the Father. He had once said this before. You remember where he had said this once before? But I don't think the folks that heard it caught it. But someone pondered it in her heart. Mary. Mary. When was, what was the incident? Guys on the online can also speak. I think joining the line. No. All right, folks online, did you hear my question? You, it's a quiz. Once before, huh? you have to unmute before you speak. There was once before, before this event, that Jesus refers to Father. Yes, Christine. When uh, Jesus was in his father's house when he was 12. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And what happened? Tell me about that incident. Well, that's when he got lost. Well, he didn't get, he lost, didn't get lost, but they couldn't find him in the caravan as uh -huh. they left Jerusalem mm -hmm. to worship. And uh, they went back and found him at the temple teaching. Well, he was talking, listening in our debate, yes discussing with the leaders there, I guess. And yes, and then what happened? In my father's, they asked what, you know, didn't you know I was I was going to be in my father? I don't know. I got to be on my father's business? Yes, yes, yes. And then Mary pondered it in her heart. Yeah. You remember that? Yes. Because she knew this is God's son. Obviously, Joseph knew too. Um. But it was a quiet thing. This is the first time he's publicly stating it. 
So shock, first one. Second thing, revelation for the first time to his disciples that he and the father, the relationship with father and son. Now the, you know, there are big arguments about the, especially the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and also the Muslims will say, oh, that's impossible. Jehovah's Witness will say, there's no such thing as um, Jesus as being God and son and all of this. They're two different people. They say this. And the relationship doesn't exist. There's no such thing as son. God doesn't beget. In fact, if you go to Alaska Mosque, around the, uh, the, the mosque, it's in Arabic it says something to the effect that God does not beget. God is one and God does not beget. That's what's written on the circle on the Alaska Mosque in Arabic. I, someone who knows Arabic can tell us exactly what the words are, but in English, that's what it means. But here we see Jesus is very clear. He says that this is our father. So revelation of the father. And many, many more times later on, he talks about the father. But it's the first time. Second thing, notice what he says. He didn't say, this is the most beautiful thing. He didn't say, my father. For the first time, he says, our father. What is he saying here? This is so beautiful. He's saying, he's including the disciples in his prayer and saying that this is our father. You are no longer my slaves. We are friends. I'm your brother. That's what he's saying. And he goes on later on to refer to it. And this speaks to the kinsman redeemer, the book of Ruth. I refer back to the book of Ruth because it's got so much relevance to this. Jesus had to become human, had to be born in the flesh, had to, to redeem us. Because the law requires that a kinsman redeemers must, must redeem that one who is in slavery, in bondage, and so on. So the book of Ruth refers to Goel, or the kinsman redeemer, the near relative. In the Jewish culture, if I fell into poverty, or if I... I if I was sold into poverty, there's only one person that can save me. That is my brother. My nearest brother can come to my owner and buy my release. This is Adam's brother. This is Israel's brother, Jesus. He's the second Adam. He's Adam's brother. He had to come in the flesh like Adam. And so he calls his disciples for the first time. He's saying, no, we are brothers. This has significance beyond that we are brothers. Third, Jews dared not go close to God of fear and holy reverence. This is true, remember? They don't even want to go into the temple. In this case, Jesus drops that fear and refers to it in such an intimate word, Father. As you were saying, Augie, it must have shocked them. 
This is the first time they're hearing somebody refer to God as Father. Throughout the Old Testament, um, God always referred Himself as "I will be your God and you will be my people." Correct. He never addressed them, even though He loved them so much. Even though He, they, God always wanted the best for the people of Israel. God never established that kind of a relationship with the people. Correct. So how can how 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 do we expect people to you know see Him mm -hmm. as the Father? Agreed. Unless until somebody from heaven come down and tell them to do so, right? Right. They knew a Messiah would come. Yeah. But they didn't know that the Messiah would come in this form. Yeah. As God's son, you know, they didn't they didn't really fully understand this time when the Messiah comes. You know, he'd be he said he'd be the son of David, he'd be the son of Joseph, and all of those things are true. But they didn't fully get the picture that this kind of uh, relationship would be revealed. It was the first time. So he's now revealing that as a Messiah, he's also their brother. Mm -hmm. uh, now, yeah. uh, I wonder, the Muslim says God doesn't beget, but didn't God, God create us? Isn't that like begetting? Or is there, is it, am I using, is, is, am I, my, is that the wrong definition? Right. In the beget, good question, Lynn. In the beget, he said, does not beget as in a son, does not give, does not have a son. Right. Okay. Oh, that's that's what, what they mean. Yeah. 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 Okay. Second thing he says, hallowed going forward, uh, says hallowed be your name. In other words, holy is your name. Honored is your name. Jesus raises his father in high honor. Jesus raises in high honor. Then he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you're the son of your father and you honor him, then it is a given, what? You would wish well for your father and desire that the father's will will be done. And so it's just natural. It's a natural flow that the honor for the father just comes naturally. That you're willing to put yourself on hold Everything that you want is on hold because you want the Father's will to be accomplished. I got to tell you this. Um, this is going from, this is one of my story from my background. My parents came to the United States when they're in the back in the 60s and 70s. Um, they visited the U.S. They're both doctors. They came in. They could have settled here. They decided to just go back. And they went back and lived in Libya and in England and so on. And they finally retired and went and settled in India. And they, they're no longer with me. They've more passed on to glory. One of the things that my father desired is that he said, you know, he had come to the U.S. Uh, back in the 70s. And he said, I want to go back to the U.S. But then he was too old. And he was already done with life and he didn't want to make a big move because he was already finished up his work and he was retiring and he was doing very well. And he said, oh, I'm going to go live in India. But somewhere in the back of my mind, it stuck in my head that my father said, I want to go live in the U.S. So when it came time for me, as I was finishing my engineering school in India, this Came, this thought came to my mind. I want to honor my father in doing that which he wanted to do. And that was 
There were many motivators, but this was also a motivator for me. I wanted to honor him in achieving an ambition that he had, but he couldn't fulfill that. And I wanted to achieve it on his behalf. Of course, I wanted to achieve it on, for myself too, and I wanted to pursue my own. Um, but apart from that, that was also a big deal for me. So when I got my education completed, you know what I did back then? There was no email. So I took a photocopy of my certificate and I faxed it to him. My, you know, master's in computer science and this and that and the other. And when I got my green card, I sent him a copy. And, you know, just because of my happiness to say, Father, I've achieved that which you wanted to achieve. Now, that was just me. And my relationship with my father was a very rocky one. But I still wanted to do it because he, this was one of his ambitions. And when he came, it was such a joy for me to have him in my home, for him to do whatever he wants. Because I wanted to honor him. So I can understand, I mean, that's my small story, but I can understand. When Jesus says, talks and says, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're talking about the absolute. Jesus, the absolute, God and his father. And you can imagine that kind of honor and that he had for his father. And he said, anything that my father wants. And his point was, your wish, my command. And so he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Now, why does he say on earth as in heaven? This earth was given to Adam and his children. And now here was Satan who's just taken over. And Jesus has come and he's just starting his ministry. And what is he? He's here to get back that which Satan has stolen away. And the only way to get it back, as you know, by the death on the cross and paying the full price. But he's already saying, your will be done. In heaven, God, you're in control. Here, Satan is in control. Of course, you can get rid of Satan anytime you want. But God would not cross his own line, his own boundaries. His principles are forever. He wouldn't cross. He wouldn't. So he had to send his son to pay the price. But Jesus is saying, your will be done on earth. He's not only it's saying his desire, but also what is one of his objectives of being here is to get his, uh, his will on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, many uh, in, in the past, many people allegorize this saying, oh, this is about the communion bread. This is about that. No, it's very simple. Food is food. Um, God knows that we have need for food, we need for clothing. We have need for all these things. And so he says, Give us this day our daily bread. But this also refers to the word of God that starts with self needs every day. Right? So every day we need to... In this sense, you could allegorize it that way. In this case, it's just purely my needs for the day. Oh, okay. My needs. Well, in that you could say, yes, um, part of my needs is God's word every day. You could say that. However, it's just generally meaning, give me my daily ration. <laughs> Uh, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus teaches us to forgive our debtors 
just as we forgive others debts. See, he doesn't say forgive my debts. He inserts just as I forgive my debtors. This is an important principle in the prayer that he's saying my forgiveness of my debts are well, I don't want to say dependent on, but as his disciple, it should come naturally to us. It shouldn't be forced on us that we will forgive. And that's why he says, just as we have forgiven our debtors. Just so as we have forgiven. It's an implied. Yeah, but when I say that prayer, that forces me to you know, forgive. Yes, me. consider. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes. Because yeah. I can't say that prayer without forgiving my my. Hello. My, my fellow believers. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree. Um, but he's reminding us. <laughs> when we say that word, when we say that statement, make sure if you haven't forgiven, forgive it because our forgiveness is as we are forgiving others. It'll be like. <laughs> it's a reminder that we need to forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Temptation literally means a test. God has also promised us to keep us from any testings in Corinthians, uh, any test that's greater than what we can handle, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And God does not tempt. And this is James 1, 13. It talks about God does, is not tempting. He will not tempt. But then disciples are aware of the weakness. And, and so we're saying, Lord, those places that I'm slipping into, please do not even allow me to go to those places where I slip and fall. Lead me not into temptation, meaning save me from it. We don't know the number of times God has saved us and we didn't even know it. And so many times God has saved us from temptations, from sicknesses, from you know car accidents. I've seen videos where you know, people walking down the street and, and the heading on that or the title on that is the luckiest people alive. Have you seen those videos? Mm -hmm. When you see them, you go, my goodness. Yeah. If only he knew what was just about hit him. Mm -hmm. And the car comes and slides right by or sometimes a truck is over the fellow's head and he just slips out. You almost escaped once. Yeah. Remember when you were in Philadelphia? You almost found another truck. Which one was this? I've forgotten this. <laughs> I don't remember this, but maybe in my brains I've just <laughs> etched it out of my memory. Um, but um, yeah, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And remember our delivery from the evil one. Remember what uh, you um, when we're talking about Job. Um, Satan wanted to touch Job, and he mm -hmm. said, "And he said, have you considered my servant Job?" And Satan says, "How can I? You put a hedge of protection around him. I cannot get to him, even if I wanted to. You put a hedge of protection. All right, Satan, I'll remove the hedge of protection. Only don't take his life." Mm -hmm. We don't know the hedge of protection that God has put for each one of us. Deliver us from the evil one. The number of hedges we have, number of protections we have. Uh, you know, we have no idea 
but we got to be thankful. God, thank you for the hedge of protection. And we must all pray, and I pray this prayer. I say, God, from corner to corner to corner to corner, in other words, the four corners of my territory, the lot that you've given to me, protect it. The lot is not physical lot. I, yes, I, mean, I refer to physical lot, but there's a spiritual lot that each family has, each individual has. In Psalms, it says, my lot has fallen in pleasant places. What does that mean? Does it mean that you got a beautiful plot of land by the riverside? Could be. Maybe that's what the psalmist meant, you know. Uh, but apart from that, my lot having fallen in pleasant places, it also means that the lot of my life has fallen in pleasant places. And we should ask the Lord, Lord, protect my lot. Because the enemy comes in, first he puts a foothold. Once he's established a foothold, then that becomes a stronghold. And once it's become a stronghold, it's become a fortress inside your lot. Then you got a bigger battle. So we ought to pray every night, every day as we pray, Lord, protect my lot. Lead me not into temptation. Protect me from these temptations. And may not Satan have dominion over me or even a, a foothold in my lot. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now this last piece, for yours the kingdom, the power and the glory um, some have said that it's not in the original manuscript, but you will see it now. The mo most modern day scholars say there was a later edition as a doxology, um, but it doesn't matter either way because we say it anyway. Um, so this is the model that Jesus talks about with regards to the kind of a model of a prayer. He says, pray like this. It's a very simple prayer. But within this, you see the different elements of prayer. And I leave it to you to look at the various elements of the prayer. You know, first, if you look at it, is calling on the Father, our position with the Father. Second is honor of the Father. The third is the desire the, for him to be king over our lives, to, uh, to have reign over our lives. Thy kingdom come. And then thy will be done in my life. And then he talks about giving us our daily provisions for the day. And forgiveness, to forgive us. And so uh, forgiveness, asking for, uh, you know, seeking repentance, forgiveness. Um, that is important. And then ultimately asking God's favor to protect us from any kind of temptations because he is in control. The dominion, the power, the kingdom, the glory all belongs to him. And he's able to do exceedingly more abundantly than we ever can imagine. Addressing God as Father and Jesus our brother brings us close to our Maker. Jesus teaches us to honor God and trust him for daily needs. He teaches us about forgiveness and keeping from temptations. Though heaven and earth belong to him, we can approach him through prayer. 
We will meet again in the next episode.